All right, welcome everyone. Um, this is the Medical Liability Minute, and of course it lasts for longer than a minute. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Siegel, founder and CEO of Medical Justice, an organization dedicated to protecting doctors from frivolous lawsuits, internet libel, unwarranted demands for refunds, and a bevy of other medical legal threats. We are joined today by David Mandel, who's a partner in the OJM Group, and he'll tell you a bit more about what the OJM Group is as we do our deep dive. Uh, by way of background, he's an attorney, an author, and an authority in the fields of risk management, asset protection, and wealth planning. These are three things of, of total importance to um, our audience and physicians. Um, Mr. Mandel graduated with honors from Harvard University. Now I'm from Texas, and I like to call Harvard University the Rice University of the North. Right. Law, degree, <laughs> Law degree is from uh, UCLA School of Law, and he was awarded the American Jurisprudence Award for Achievement in Legal Ethics. And finally, if that's not enough, he got an MBA. So greetings, David. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, pleased to be here, Jeff. Excited. So let's set the stage for where we're at, where and when we're recording, mostly when we're recording. Um, the COVID-19 virus is marching across the United States. It's already um, hit its um, stride, I guess, in Asia, and, and we're struggling in America. They just passed, or they're about to pass, the uh, CARES stimulus package, which I think will bring a great deal of relief uh, to our fellow citizens. Uh, but right now, I think the backdrop is a lot of people are worried. I like to say, I mean, I've been through this rodeo before with 2008. Maybe it'll be worse. Maybe it will not be uh, as bad. We'll have to wait and see. And medicine is often, um, I guess we call it recession proof, but certainly there's a lot of worry in the air. I, what I'd like you to do is just start, tell us briefly what you do at the OJM group. You've been working with physicians for decades and we'll use that as a, as a way to introduce why if you have a long-term plan while today is a hiccup it shouldn't create it should not be fatal it should be something that everybody can get reasonably comfortable with even if it is uncomfortable and that uh, we'll survive not just survive but um, we will thrive yeah absolutely Jeff uh, so one of the things that wasn't in that short bio which I didn't want people to hear to answer this question is I come from a family of physicians. So my grandfather practiced all the way through in the Great Depression. I didn't get to speak to him much. He passed away when I was young, but my father tells me about that. My father's 77 and still doing some locums work as a radiologist. Uh, great health, yeah. Um, and uh, my brother is a cardiologist. So, you know, we're about coming up on uh, 90 years of uh, practice of a Mandel. In the US. You, must be the, you must be the black sheep of the family then, I guess, huh? Well, it's, it started maybe as black sheep, but now it's become white sheep because everybody needs legal and financial help. And yes, absolutely. Welcome back to the herd. Here you go. Yeah, thanks. You know, I tell people I was working on my parents' will, and I realized I'd be written out of the will if I didn't help physicians. So I wrote a book in 1997 called The Doctor's Asset Protection Guide. And that sort of led us down this road. So. Uh, at OJM, the world a wealth management firm, and what's different about us, I think, is one, we do focus on physicians. Uh, about 80 to 90 percent of our clients are doctors. We've worked with over 1,500 in 48 states. One of the other things that's uh, unique about us is we tried to, and this is on purpose, because when we formed this, 
in earnest about 2006. Um, and prior to that, I was practicing law almost full time and doing some financial work. Uh, but when I kind of shifted and said, I'm going to keep my practice, but only law practice, do about 10 percent of my time on that and 90 percent on wealth management. I wanted to form a firm not only that was physician focused, but that was multidisciplinary. So the people in our firm, my background is a lawyer and my background and my expertise is asset protection. We, my partner, Carol, she's a CPA. She's a tax expert. My partner, Jason, he's an insurance uh, expert. We have benefit plan people like 401ks and profit sharing plans and things like that. We have CFPs who do the financial modeling. We have investments uh, experts. So while that's relevant to the question that you asked is that, you know, in the last couple of weeks, obviously our investment folks, because we manage a little under half a billion dollars for physicians across the country, have been reaching out to all of our clients and trying to, you know, speak with them, communicate with them, listen to them, and ultimately get them to not make mistakes in this time. And, and you have people, you have clients in all stages of the um, physician lifestyle, life cycle world, meaning yes. some who are young, some who are in their mid-career, some who are about to retire and some who have fully retired, correct? Absolutely. Like my parents are clients. We manage their money in the 77 and there maybe have a couple of clients even older than that, parents of clients. That's how we got to them. Uh, and then we have residents and fellows. So literally, you know, residency retirement, which is the subtitle of our new book, which I know we'll talk about. But um, so, you know, it's really interesting. And when our clients are talking, when our advisors are talking to clients, we look at macro and micro. And if you can look long-term, both macro and micro, Jeff, it starts to lower stress levels, starts to lower that cortisol. Or, you know, as physicians, you guys know this stuff better than me. Well, tell but me what you, you mean by micro and macro. Yeah. On that. Yeah. So macro is, let's look at the stock market going back 100 years. You said you've been to this rodeo before. And there's been rodeos pretty much every 10 years, if you want to say significant pullbacks. Now, is this unprecedented what we're going through in terms of social distancing and um, the health aspect, you know, and mental health aspect in addition to the economic? For sure. OK, but 0809 in some ways was maybe even more threatening to the financial system. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, before that, you can go back to, you know, the dot com collapse. And before that, you had the oil uh, and when inflation uh, hit up in the 70s and all the way through the Great Depression. And if you see that chart, if we could visualize it, it's basically from the left side saying you know, 1900, the right side being 2020. And it's basically a line going up, you know, with some downturns up down. But the, 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 the through line is certainly uh, higher, right? I mean, even today with the Dow's at 21, 22,000, you know, in 1900, the Dow is at 50, right? So it's gone significantly up over time inflation is a factor of course and, and but even, let me add, let me add to that i mean yeah. just using your own two eyes you can see that wealth is being created in our lifetimes uh, and certainly right. you know if you compare that to our parents uh, lifetimes and grandparents i mean 100 years ago or, or maybe just beyond i mean the automobile was just being introduced and if you look around today i mean you have people who landed on the moon we have personal computers we have smartphones so i mean that that demonstrates that globally a great deal of wealth is being created over time and that probably is the natural trajectory um, in our society and societies around the world we will continue to create wealth even with these hiccups or rodeos or whatever metaphor you want to use 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. And what I think is also important, if you can visualize the chart, which any of your listeners can just Google up, is we've had some downturns, but it typically doesn't take that long to come back. I mean, even the Great Depression, which lasted for nine years, um, uh, the markets were back where uh, they were before the crash in 29 um, uh, within the decade. So, you know, and then the 50s and 60s were basically straight up, right? That was huge economic expansion. The other thing that I find interesting, and again, a lot of people on your listening will know a lot more about this than me, but if you look back to what this health scare has been uh, compared to, which is the flu of 1918 and that terrible um, uh, uh, cost in terms of human lives, we didn't have modern medicine then, obviously, and that came right on the heels of World War I. So you can imagine a world war. I mean, it's even hard to imagine these days, but a world war, U.S. obviously leading the charge, a lot of casualties, a lot of um, pain and suffering by the, by the troops, but also the country. And then you have this um, uh, influenza, mm -hmm. right? And then what happens? Did we go into a depression then? No, we actually had nine years of expansion. Now, doing some things, we had no regulation, so that led to the stock market crash. But the roaring 20s came after that. So I think the point of, of the macro look is to say, yeah, we're, we're gonna have downturns and this one is significant, but let's not operate out of fear. That's the thing that we're talking to our clients about is, hey, listen, let's make, and I'll talk about the micro in a second, but let's make changes on the micro side to you, what you're doing. But, um, and we may do that. We may want to rebalance. We may want to get, we have clients who are certainly saying, hey, listen, we think a lot of this stuff is on sale. Let's be thoughtful and put some money into work, some cash on the sidelines because we want to take, a, 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 a get in as we think this will come up in the year two, three, whatever it is. But I think if people look at it long-term from a macro side, they start to, their breathing gets easy and they realize, yes, this specific thing we haven't dealt with before, but significant threats and major uh, recessions and even depressions we've dealt with before. And uh, long-term, um, they look like sort of blips on the screen. And the thing that's kind of fascinating is that um, during the Great Depression, I don't think that the United States was considered the world's foremost economic powerhouse, but after World War II, it was number one. So in that window of time, we moved from a strong, but not a, um, I guess, you know, one of the preeminent global economic powerhouses to being number one. I mean, and it happened in a period of time that most people could see. It wasn't something that you had to wait generations to see. I mean, it happened, it happened while people were watching. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the 0809, which is, you know, our most recent, and, and that was significant, you know, I mean, that was a significant jolt to the financial system worldwide and, you know, banks collapsing and things like this. We, the government for, you know, uh, better or worse, and, and people um, have learned from that. When I um, was in medical school, residency, fellowship, I thought about one thing and one thing only, which was um, how to learn as much as I uh, could, how to um, capture as much education, training, etc. Um, I was living from day to day. As long as I had food on my table and a roof over my head, uh, I was okay. I couldn't think about anything 
other than just mastering the craft. And even when you graduate, you still have so much to learn. But one thing I know that we had absolutely zero training in was the law. We had zero training in business and we had uh, zero training in any, you know, in any of these other aspects of life, which include um, building wealth and uh, and keeping it and figuring out how to uh, distribute it over time. Um, is it ever too soon to start thinking about it? I know your answer is going to be you should start thinking about it sooner rather than later. But for the medical student resident and fellow who's so overwhelmed and believe that they have an infinite amount of time to get things right or tomorrow, 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 I'll deal with it tomorrow. Um, what are the types of things that the newest graduates should be thinking about? And how do you make it painless for people to participate, not feeling as if it's so overwhelming? Yeah, that's a great question. So you know, obviously my answer would be, you know, as soon as you can carve out some time, you know, and I lived in the same building with my brother when he was in uh, doing his uh, cardiology fellowship in New York. And so I know the time demands uh, are, are brutal. But uh, I think one of the benefits of what we try to do at OJM Group, and we're obviously not the other firm, only firm who does this, but uh, and, and obviously you guys do this too at Medical Justice, is providing the education in different formats. So it's not just, hey, read Economics 101, a 400-page book. That I wouldn't do at all. I think we have certainly a lot of bite-sized videos, uh, podcasts, WebExes, even like this, uh, podcasts like this, I should say. So um, where people can, you know, when they're working out, hopefully they're keeping healthy and trying to uh, do that when they are walking uh, to work, et cetera, when they're just, you know, sort of tuning out at home that they can watch a short 10, 12-minute video on term insurance versus cash value life insurance, or, you know, five things to think about in the first contract, or you know, what you need to know about disability insurance as a fellow as you take your first job, um, you know, should, you know, uh, uh, debt repayment versus, you know, an IRA if you have some extra cash in your first job. So, you know, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It can be bits and pieces. Certainly, we create a lot of free content. We'll talk about that um, before we finish how people can get all of our books and, and all of our materials and free newsletter. But that's the way I would do it. You know, you got to... Um, you don't have to jump in, uh, you know, the analogy and and uh, jump into the pool, but you can certainly get your toes and feet wet and educate yourself on the issues that come up. You know, asset protection, maybe not as important to get, you know, as educated about or even tax planning to some degree um, uh, when you um, are just starting out because, you know, you're not going to have huge incomes. And uh, uh, or at least initially, you might not have as many options uh, to reduce taxes until you get, get to um, get to private practice if you're going to go that way. And your assets will grow over time. But initially, things like first contract, uh, debt repayment, uh, disability, if you have uh, dependents, life insurance, the, the uh, uh, sort of building blocks. And in our book, we have our first section which we wrote uh, the book with, but actually he helped us mostly in the first section with a millennial orthopedic surgeon client of ours. Um, and we handle all those issues. So, you know, a young doc might get our book and just read the first section. That would be it. I think that's, um, and, and I have um, read the millennials introduction to the book. The thing that is helpful is as you get started, 
the main asset, and everybody has assets, the main asset for a recent graduate is the recent graduate, meaning right. it's their life, it's their ability to earn a living. As long as they're able to earn, earn a living, they can create cash, they can create wealth. So how do you protect that? Well, disability insurance. I mean, that's, in fact, disability insurance is kind of cheap. <laughs> if you get disability insurance when you just graduate, it's almost an order of magnitude lower than if you uh, start thinking about it later in life. And if you have a family, um, term insurance is also cheap. And some people say, well, look, I'm single. I don't need to think about it. But if you've got uh, debts and other people have co-signed for them, for example, or helping you through, uh, low-cost term insurance would be helpful to link uh, to um, to lock into. Two things that most people don't think about until time goes by, and these these things that are relatively inexpensive early in life start to become much more expensive. And then the final point that you make is how to think about debt. When I graduated from medical school. I didn't have uh, substantive debt the way people have today. And because this number is so great, how it gets uh, paid back, what the terms are, make a vast difference in terms of you know, the effect it has on wealth creation. So um, I, I, do, I do like the, idea, or the way you structure the book to focus on different aspects of the career from, uh, from the timeline. Yeah, and that reflects how we work with clients too, right? So if we have, um, let's say somebody listening to this is a fellow and they call this or a doc in the first year of practice, we have a consulting side. We typically charge a flat fee to take them through a process. And that could be just like a medical analogy, diagnosing and, and treating one area, asset protection. There's a fee just for that piece, or it could be everything, asset protection, tax, you know, investments, insurance, it's financial modeling, estate planning, all that. But if we're working with young docs and fellows and residents, we're going to try to work with them and not charge a fee. Maybe we can be the ones to provide that disability insurance. They need to get it from somebody, some agent. We're licensed in all 50 states. Same with the insurance. So we can say, listen, here's something we can do for you already. It doesn't cost you anymore because you were going to get something like this or something you know that we would recommend um, anyway. We can at least have some kind of revenue out of it. And then you get assigned a, you know, a CFP, a financial planner, who can start educating you and helping you make decisions on, okay, if I get this bonus or I get this, you know, income next year, should I dedicate it all to paying down loans or should I put a down payment on a new house or should I start a, you know, a SEP IRA or something? And those are decisions they're going to be making once they start having income. And uh, what we try to do is provide services in the early years, frankly, because we know, just like you were saying, you know, a, a fellow is a millionaire. They just don't know it because the net present value of their future, future income, which they want to protect through primarily disability insurance. Right. But from our point of view, we see a young physician as a great long term client for us. So we're willing to, from a business point of view, sort of lost leader, spend time with them, try to have some kind of uh, uh, relationship with them um, business wise and then grow with them over time. And that's part of how our firm grew. The O in OJM is Jason O'Dell, my partner. While I started as an attorney and kind of went into the financial field, he started with residents and fellows, you know, buying them pizza in the uh, in the uh, in the uh, hospital. And by the time we merged up our practice, those docs went all over the country from where he had met them from training. And you know, he had long-term, 15, 20-year 
uh, loyal clients, but he had started with them that way too because he was young at that time. So we 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 keep that in mind, and that's part of our you know um, ethos in our firm is to work with young docs as well, not just you know our wealthier. There's a tendency to try and wing this, to go it alone. I guess the gestalt is that, well, I mean, disability insurance is probably all alike. Term insurance is all alike, et cetera, et cetera. All the the terms and the exclusions, probably the same. Um, I think that's a blunder of the greatest order because they are different. Uh, so either, certainly for insurance, the doctor, the young doctor can wing it and do it on their own, uh, or they could um, work with someone that sells insurance from a single company or you can work with someone who has access to a gazillion different policies and can right size it for the individual i'm a fan of the latter but just spend a couple of minutes talking about the distinctions in particular how the young doctor can get burned by buying a particular type of either insurance policy uh, disability insurance policy or life insurance policy that ultimately may not be a ghastly mistake, but could be expensive and, and maybe not even provide for, um, for their need um, when, when, when the crap hits the fan. Yeah, so you brought up two issues there I want to address, and I'll talk about the sort of business models and the insurance in a second. But first, you also mentioned kind of doing it yourself. And we have clients who do pieces of their, their financial, even pieces of their investing. We manage, like I said, about half a billion dollars, and for a lot of our physician clients, we may not manage all of it. For many of them, we do. They want to do some of it themselves or they have some you know, old advisor help them when they were young. They don't want to pull that piece from them. Um, but we want to look at the whole thing so there's not you know, overlap and uh, poor allocations because we don't know what's going on. So we want a view of everything. And with our software, we can bring that all down. They can look at it all on their app, on their phone and all that. But doing it yourself, you know, I think there's two issues. One is, you know, do you have the expertise? I mean, we're lawyers. We understand there's that old saying from Abraham Lincoln, uh, attorney who represents himself as a fool as a client. Right. And yeah. so that's been wisdom for 150 years, 170 years in our in our field. Uh, physicians generally should not be treating themselves. Um, so and, and it's times like this, especially on the investment side, where having an advisor um, really is key. In fact, going back to my first point before, going back to the micro idea of long-term, if you're working with an advisor, this is the time they can be looking at your specific, your specific long-term plan. And if you have a lot of time horizon, then you can say in a micro sense, yeah, I might, these assets might come down for a bit, but historically from macro sense, we expect them to come back up and I don't need them right now. I may not need some of these assets for five, 10, for your younger clients, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now. So let's not panic, right? So doing it on your own, especially on the investment side, but even on insurances, or certainly I've had clients who, you know, called me and said, oh, I set up my own LLC. You know, they set up, I did my own will online. Um, the more significant the decision is, the more risk you take that you didn't get it right. Meaning you want to do something yourself, like mow your own lawn. Yeah, the professional might be able to do a little better, a little faster, et cetera. But if the lawn isn't perfect, what's the risk? You get the wrong disability policy and God forbid you're one of the, you know, we have a thousand plus clients, but we have, you know, five to 10 on disability. If it wasn't the right or the best policy for what you needed, you may not realize that until unfortunately, hopefully not, but you need to rely on it. And then it could be 
a lifetime financially poor decision, right? So and right, and right when you are most vulnerable, that's the most difficult time to fight that fight. I mean, you're hoping right. that you just have to pick up the telephone and fill out some paperwork and march forward. Now, it's rarely that easy, but by and large, the last thing you, you want to do when you're vulnerable is to get into a cage fight. Absolutely. And the other thing, think about what you mentioned just from the beginning, Jeff. You said even young physicians, but I think you can apply this across the board. The number one resource physicians don't have or uh, that they uh, need more of is time. So, mm -hmm. yes, you can. I said you can get educated on, you know, asset protection and learn everything you can. And, you know, not going to law school, but, you know, just study, study, study. And I'm not saying you could draft documents, but you could come up with some good ideas and maybe um, uh, uh, come up with a decent plan. And the same thing, you can learn everything you need to know about preparing your own tax return. But is that really the best use of your time after you've seen patients all day and you have a family and you have other things? It's probably from an economic point, not the highest and best use. You'd be better off seeing patients getting paid well for that and then spending a little bit of money on someone who's an expert in that field to do it. And, and plus, and plus yeah. the, rule, the rules change all of the time. So even what you've learned today may not be relevant a year from now. It may not even be um the appropriate thing to do a year from now. So if you're going to do this yourself, you need to stay updated. You can't just be one and done and forget about it. Absolutely. The other thing I wanted to address, and I'll address it on the insurance, but also on the investments, is something you brought up, which is crucial, which is understanding the business model and the incentive of the advisor you're working with. I mean, this is crucial in insurance because, again, would I go to a doctor? Here's the question I ask all my physicians. Would I go to a physician who, you know, on their door, or maybe not even that conspicuous, on their business card, or maybe on the back of their business card, basically, uh, I learned that they can only prescribe one um, in one uh, um, drug company's uh, products. So no matter what my condition is, they can only prescribe one drug company's products. I mean, that'd be ridiculous, right? Nobody would go to a physician like that because that they might have, a, might have the right uh, product for me, given my health issue. Okay, that's clear. What about a more subtle, and this is where a lot of insurance people operate. It's not that they can't prescribe anything else. It's that they get paid a lot more if they prescribe only one company's drugs. And in fact, their rent is paid by that drug company and their assistants, their nurses are paid by that drug company. So they can say, yes, we can write any one, but we know, and the data shows that there are significant um, incentives, mm -hmm. uh, perverse incentives to direct clients to one particular company's products. And there's a lot of companies out there like that, even if the company is good, like a Mass Mutual or a Northwestern Mutual and Northwestern Mutual had to send to all of their CFPs because certified financial planners have their uh, code of ethics and they had to send a letter. Every, every Northwestern Mutual agent in the last year had to send a letter if they're a CFP to their clients with a seven page disclosure about how their business processes works. And it's not to say that the company or the products uh, aren't good, but when you have incentives like that and they're not clear to the client and you go to a Northwestern agent, let's say, and they recommend you a Northwestern agent product, how do you know that's the right product for you? What you wanna be working with is someone who doesn't have any of those incentives. I mean, certainly our firm doesn't, but we don't do that. And it's, and it's also true in the investment world, right? I mean, in there, if you work with an investment advisor who has a firm that has proprietary products, who's under a suitability standard versus a uh, uh, a um, 
uh, best interest standard, a, a fiduciary standard. I can explain more of that if you yeah, want. Yeah, please do, because those are terms that are, that most people don't use in everyday um, conversation, and I think they do matter quite a bit in terms of the relationship that the advisor has with the client. For sure. But just to put a, a tie up on the insurance. So I think on the insurance, it's really important to work with, and we have a bunch of chapters in our book on term and life and cash value insurance. We even have five success factors, and we show four physicians each getting uh, similar policies, whole life or another policy, and one properly advised, one doing it right, one not properly advised, not doing it right, and looking at the, how the case studies come out. And it's very interesting. We talk about success factors that you would work with with any agent. So definitely something people uh, you know, looking at insurance should be, should be reading. On the investment side, it's even more perverse, I think, and in some ways certainly more um, dangerous, which is work, you have to understand, uh, there's a great slide and we have it in our books that has, if you can imagine, uh, a two you know, axis uh, grid. And it basically goes straight from the left bottom to the straight right top. So it's like a straight line. And on one side is trust and on the other side is transparency. So basically what it says is as transparency increases, trust increases. Mm -hmm. And that's so important on the investment side. You need to be working with someone that you can understand exactly how they make money so you can trust their recommendations, right? That just seems obvious, right? I wouldn't trust my physician if I thought they were getting kickbacks from the uh, drug companies or what have you, right? So it's much more easy to trust somebody if you know exactly how they make money, what their incentive is, and they're clear about it. And then you can judge, okay, are they making the right um, uh, recommendation for me. Well, there's two ways that financial advisor, investment advisors are governed in this country. And a lot of physicians don't realize this. There is the suitability standard uh, 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 governance, and then there is the fiduciary standard governance. And they're very different. And it's absolutely not obvious uh, when you talk to an advisor, which one they're on. Okay. Financial advisor means nothing. Okay. It doesn't well, mean work. But how, would you, how would you know that when you establish a relationship with a financial advisor, um, if it says certified financial planner behind their name, how do you know which what what the relationship is? Normally, when you see a doctor, you know you either do or do not have a doctor-patient relationship and what that means. But there isn't there aren't different levels of relationships when a patient sees a doctor. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And so this is we we covered this not only in wealth uh, uh, planning for the modern physician or new book for physicians uh, but also wealth management made simple which is a book for anybody certainly good for which is all about investing which came out uh, about 18 months ago and we'll talk about those books um, and as a chapter the five questions you should ask your financial advisor and number one is are you a fiduciary very simple okay i mean they have to answer that question and it's not obvious right so uh, a fiduciary has to put the client's best interest first. And in the book, we give examples. Let's say, Jeff, you wanted to invest $1,000 into a large cap investment fund, okay? Mm -hmm. And you had two advisors. You said went to one that was a suitability, under the suitability standard, and one that was on the fiduciary standard. The suitability standard, they can find you any uh, large cap fund, no matter what the commission is, no matter how much they get paid off the top, and they've they've satisfied that duty. There's no liability there. The uh, best interest, the fiduciary, 
they typically would be paying, getting paid a fee, like let's say 1%. So on that thousand bucks, $10. Mm-hmm. And then they have a go, they have a duty to find you the lowest cost option that will satisfy your investment need. So in the same thousand dollars, you potentially you could have like an eight percent load on one, where you're paying eighty bucks, when on the other you're paying ten bucks. It would take so you I'm, eight years to overcome that, right? Um, I've got a dumb question while we're yeah. going through this. Is it possible for one advisor? to treat clients differently. One has a suitability standard relationship and the other one has a fiduciary relationship or are is the advisor um, tied to just a single type of standard with all of their clients? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's pretty much this, uh, it, it would be, um, uh, it would be one or the other because it's a business model decision. Mm-hmm. Like for example, at OJM Group, we're what's called a registered investment advisor. That means we're governed by the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission. We can get, you know, we have to be compliant. We can, we, and we have in the past, we can get audited, just like a couple month process where they come in and take a look at everything every number of years. And we are fiduciaries. We charge an asset under management fee and we take no commissions on any products. There's nothing we make other than the fee. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. It's very transparent. The broker model, which is most of the big Wall Street firms, okay, um, you know, your Merrill Lynch's, your Morgan Stanley's, we have good friends there. They're generally under the suitability model. Why? Because they have proprietary products, right? If you're a Morgan Stanley rep, you're going to talk a lot about the Morgan Stanley uh, funds. And obviously, Morgan Stanley not only makes money on the advisor side, but they make money on the fund side. They're, they're a product creator. And in fact, you know, I'm sure nobody here pays attention, but in the financial world, over the last five years, there's been a big fight in the financial world of should the suitability, excuse me, should the fiduciary standard be mandated in the retirement world, just on retirement plans? Okay, should that be mandated where everybody's advising a retirement plan and retirees? Should that be universal in a rule that everybody has to be a fiduciary? The big Wall Street firms fought it tooth and nail, and they won. So no, the answer is no, you don't have to. So there's there's firms that are fiduciaries, and that's their business model. There are firms that are um, under the suitability, and that's their model. And there may be some that somewhat are hybrid, but you can imagine that would be a, a nightmare from a kind of compliance point of view. You, you have to do this right thing for this client, and you don't have to do it for that client. I mean, I don't think that exists, but I'm not an expert. It seems like that's an uncomfortable question to ask up front, but a necessary one. Um, where Where do you have your primary interest? Is it um, am I your primary interest or am I part of your interest, but not your primary interest? It seems like a necessary question. If yeah, it's not I mean, asked, you need to know the answer to it. Yep. Yeah, we, let, we list five questions. You know, one, are you, and you under the fiduciary standard? Okay. Number two is, do you have proprietary products? You know, three is, are you or your firm paid, you know, in any other way other than the uh, fee that I'm paying? Um, and, you know, we give examples in the book of, what that looks like. And uh, you've got to know it's transparency and trust. Doesn't mean you can't work with somebody under that arrangement and get good advice and have a good long-term relationship. We're not saying that. We're just saying you got to understand what those incentives and what it is, because then you can have trust. That's it. And a word about transparency. I frequently get from various organizations what they call their disclosures, just so they can... Um, discharge their duty to let me know, hey, we're letting you know about X, Y, and Z. These are 
14-page documents that are entirely unreadable. I have yet to meet a layperson that can understand it. I know I'm not alone. Have you found that one person, that one layperson who can read and understand what is in those disclosures? That's I'm funny. Still searching. Right. See, I mean, because that's where they put it, right? That's where the answers to the questions we're telling clients to ask, it's in there. It has to be, right? But it's funny. One of the guys on our investment team spent eight years at one of the major, um, uh, you know, Wall Street firms. And we have a bunch of clients who come to us who are at that firm. It's a, you know, huge firm. Um, and I can tell you none of these docs who are smart, who are, you know, even diligent, they can't understand what they're paying. There's absolutely, and forget about the disclosures, they don't understand all the ways fees are being taken out of their account. And the only one who can understand on the team is somebody who worked there for eight years, you know? So uh, the answer to that is no, I don't think anyone really understands those disclosures. And that's why it's gotta be simple and transparent and understand. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key thing. Language does matter um, to give this, well, I'm, I'm gonna change gears and then we'll come back to sure. it. But um, we were working locally to try and help bring in additional personal protective equipment for physicians, in particular face mask. And we're able to locate a, a company overseas that until a few weeks ago was in the textile business. I don't know what they were manufacturing, I think underwear, but they're able to gear up and, and change rapidly and create the N95 face mask, which are in short supply for, sure. for our brothers and sisters in healthcare in the ER and the IC units, <clears throat> urgent care centers and so on. And they said, yeah, we can make 5 million of them. And um, here, this is what the unit cost is. Um, this is what the shipping cost is. And we can deliver them in X number of days, which is amazing. You're thinking, great, a company that was making underwear can now save right. people's lives. What's not to like about that? So yesterday, someone shot to me um, a document. I think it was an eight-page document put out by the Food and Drug Administration saying, Yep, we've got an emergency out there, folks, and we have we have the ability to make things a lot easier so that what previously may have been forbidden is now allowable. Here's how you do it. And um, so a friend of mine who's actually spearheading the effort sent me this document, and on page six, it told you how to do it. Um, that document reminded me of, of those disclosures, <laughs> trying and identify whether someone's a fiduciary or not. I read it multiple times and and I've got experience in the regulatory world. So it's not as if I'm a stranger to um, what the Food and Drug Administration does. In a past life, I um, was CEO of a small biotechnology company and we had compounds that went through uh, preclinical phase one and phase two trials. So I'm, I'm no stranger to this. But even with an emergency and loosening the standards, it was unreadable to me. I looked at it and I basically thought, if I can't read it, how is an underwear company going to be able to comply? And it's amazingly unfortunate because the need is absolutely so great. So um, language does matter and it'd be helpful yeah. if, if you can find the nuggets of wisdom in the, um, you know, in the background of noise. Well, and thankfully in, 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 you know, in the insurance and the investment in the financial world, it doesn't have to be. I mean, you know, if someone was, if you were asking me, are you got, are you folks fiduciaries? Yes. Do you make any money uh, other than the fee that you charge in investments? No. That's it. I mean, it's pretty simple. Do you, custodian, do we hold the assets ourselves? On our firm, no, we do not. We use Charles Schwab or one of the other custodians. So there's no kind of Bernie Madoff risk. We don't hold the assets themselves. Clients go on schwab.com, 
et cetera, they can go on our app, but the, the assets actually sit there. So it's only confusing if, uh, you, I mean, that's, a, that's sort of a red flag, right? If it's, if there's, if it's, if it's un, not easy to understand how your advisor is making money, then um, it's hard to be, uh, uh, it's hard to generate trust there. So, so the answer should be a single word. It should be a binary, binary answer. Are you a fiduciary? Yes or no. If the answer is yes, if, or yes, but, and then there's a long sentence afterwards, I, I think that probably, um, red flag. Yeah. it's a red flag, minimize yep. trust. All right, let's, um, let's move a little bit into, um, the life cycle a bit further. Sure. Doctors out a bit more. We got, uh, we cut our teeth in the, um, medical legal world where people were struggling with getting sued for frivolous reasons and all types of medical legal conflicts. Now that you're starting to make wealth, you clearly want to keep your wealth. And one tool to do that is asset protection. And asset protection yeah. is a giant tent. It doesn't just mean a document having um, a limited liability corporation combined with overseas trust. In fact, that's probably not the way to go for a number of people but it's a matter of thinking about it properly. What are things that allow you to get protection in five minutes? What are things that you already have protection with and you just need to understand that these are things that can be segregated very easily? And then, of course, the, um, the typical insurance protection plan, hey, I put everything in my spouse's name, forgetting that the divorce rate amongst healthcare professionals is actually a bit higher than the national average, and that if everything is in your spouse's name, you may have just kissed it goodbye. Why don't you, um, let's start the discussion about asset protection in terms sure. of what it means, um, the timing of it, and why asset protection should be different for different people at different phases of their career. Sure. So yeah, and keep me on, on point here because this is a topic I could talk for a long time on. So first of all, um, one of the things, the way we look at asset protection differently, and this is something I really wanted to do when I was practicing law at Park Avenue in New York City is expand the, the, the scope of what we could provide at OJM Group. That's one of the reasons I went from just practicing law to doing something more comprehensive is we look at asset protection planning as really three parts. Uh, one is sort of risk management slash insurance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from a liability point of view, at least in terms of med medical malpractice, the things that you guys are doing in medical justice and helping clients, you know, manage risk before they even become a problem, right? Uh, having the right documentation, right, uh, um, uh, you know, informed consents and things like this, so that uh, that risk is managed. Uh, up front. And then, of course, insurance. I get the question all the time, you know, how, how many claims to really go beyond insurance? And I'm not somebody, if you read any of our books, who pushes the panic button. I think if you're going to spend 95% of your time, 98% of your time building wealth, let's spend 2 5% of your time one day a year talking about how to protect it. Right. So insurance, uh, part of what we do at OJM when we're looking at an asset protection uh, diagnostic, is we have a partner firm that's national that will look at the client's insurance. Either you could look at it at the practice level or can look at, you know, homeowners, umbrella, um, you know, car, et cetera. And the same firm that helped me with my own uh, home here and my homeowners, uh, really important because ultimately insurance is very likely to be the only thing most physicians will need. Okay. Beyond that, another hey, thing that's... Go ahead. David, let me just interject here and just yeah. the need of 
thinking about this, it can be overwhelming, <clears throat> but it's important to have this conversation with someone who kind of understands. So um, our business has the traditional business owner's insurance dealing with the property of the building. And what happened to us a year ago, believe it or not, lightning hit our um, hit the building. And because of how the, um, the internet was connected to uh, the office, lightning surged through our phone systems and a number of the computers. And many, many policies um, peter out at $10,000 as a cap. Now, we were right at that, and so we got paid. Um, and then the phone system was considered different than the computers. So we were close, but it was a wake-up call. We have a lot of sensitive equipment in our office. And um, actually, if you don't pay attention to the limits and the details, you could be caught with your pants down, So, which is not a good thing in this particular circumstance. So just, just making sure that you have the right amount. You don't need you know, a ridiculous amount. You just need the right amount. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's why, you know, we've made this. I mean, I used to practice law in New York and help people, doctors with asset protection planning, but I couldn't look at their insurance, which just seemed, you know, I didn't have the skill set, you know, and it just seemed like, hmm, that's like being a dermatologist, but not being able to talk about, uh, you know, sunscreen. It's like, you know, this is a, a basic. This is something that needs to be. So you don't want to be overinsured. But, you know, I, I can't tell you how many physicians come to us on a personal level and they don't have an umbrella. You know, which is uh, uh, again not expensive. Yeah, talk about that. Talk, yeah. talk about how our umbrella does fill in the gaps. Just as one example, <clears throat> one thing that likely will never happen to you is getting sued for uh, defamation. But you know, we're as physicians, we often have strong opinions, and sometimes you're on the receiving end of getting sued for your opinion. Doesn't happen frequently, but I I can tell you I've seen it, and I've seen it on more than one occasion. Well, typically you would be on your own. You'd have to hire your own attorney and you'd probably win, but it doesn't feel comfortable having to write those checks uh, to a law firm to defend you. But for many, um, many umbrella policies actually throw in coverage for libel and slander. I know mine does, or at least I believe it does last time I looked at it. But these are, what, these are some of the gaps that get filled in by virtue of having coverage that otherwise does not come with your either personal insurance or your general business liability policy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had a $2 million umbrella. I improved it to a 5 million. It wasn't much more expensive. It was hundreds of dollars difference. And, you know, I think about, you know, the, uh, a car accident that, you know, you hit the school bus, you know, that kind of thing, you know, so, uh, there could be judgments that go beyond your normal car insurance and to have this layer on top of that and make sure it's coordinated because if there's a gap, you'll be personally responsible. You've got to have someone to make sure that they, they kind of link up together. And the cost is low for an umbrella for most yeah. people. The umbrella yeah. is extremely modest. Yeah. Right. You're going from $1 million to $5 million of coverage for less than $1,000. Just think about it. Plus, it fills in the gaps for all types of things that absolutely nobody's thinking about till you get that nasty letter from the lawyer. Right, exactly. So insurance and risk management is a, a huge part of it. When people think of asset protection, they think of lawyers and that's important. I mean, legal tools are important, but even before that, you know, every state and federal law has something called exempt assets. These are assets that are off the table, that are 
it, we use in our books, we've been using this for 20 years, a minus five to plus five sliding scale. Minus five being an asset that's totally exempt, ex totally exposed, no protection whatsoever. If someone has a judgment, they can take it. To plus five, an asset that is totally protected, they have a judgment, they can't get a, a dime out of it. The only assets that are truly plus five are those that are, are, are exempt. And typically you don't need a lawyer for those, okay? That could be homestead, okay? I live in Florida, people know, they've heard before, Florida has an unlimited homestead exemption. And that's true in terms of value, there's a limitation on how large the lot can be depending on where you live. But that means you could, you know, my brother was a cardiologist, you know, he started his practice joining somebody down here in Florida who had who went bare, no malpractice insurance. Mm -hmm. So you can bet, he was calling me as he took that job, Dave, what do I need to do to protect myself? Well, for him being in Florida, one of the things he could do was buy that home, make sure it qualified for homestead protection. And mm -hmm. as he pays down that equity or he builds up that equity, that's totally protected. Other states have limitations on how much their homestead is. Some states have great protections for qualified plans like 401ks and profit sharing plans or IRAs. Some have terrific unlimited protection for um, uh, cash value life insurance and annuities. Uh, some have kind of a quasi exemption for something called tenancy by the entirety, which is an ownership form uh, for married couples in certain states. And so the first thing beyond, or I say the second thing, after the risk management and the insurance are uh, squared away in our diagnostic when we work with clients, then I'm gonna look at what are the exemptions in their state and how they could better be using those? Because those are plus five, you don't have to pay any lawyers, there's no state fees, there's no legal fees, it's just leverage what you've got, okay? Then for the gaps beyond that, then we're looking at legal tools, things like limited partnerships, limited liability companies, certain types of trusts. And uh, there's been a lot of changes in that over the 22 years I've practiced. Uh, there's terrific new trust law being uh, being passed in in different states, which allow a whole new tool that didn't exist before um, uh, that gives a really high level of protection, but still allows clients to get to the assets. So, you know, I really look in the way if we get paid, if we do in our consulting a asset protection diagnostic, which is typically $1,000 to $1,500, that's all it is. I'm going to look at and do a 10 to 15 page write up on the exempt assets, the legal options, everything, you know, rated between a minus five and plus five cost benefits, what it would take to get them where they want to go. And we're going to have the insurance reviewed. So it's going to be a complete diagnostic. Then the client can decide, what do I want for my treatment plan? Do I want to change my insurance? It's up to them, depending on the recommendations. Do I want to add some legal tools? It depends on, that, to, to, on them, on the recommendations and the cost benefit. Do I want to, you know, leverage some more uh, uh, exempt assets. It depends on the client uh, and how it fits in their financial plan. So I tell clients when it comes to asset protection, think of multidisciplinary, think of diagnostic versus treatment. And certainly I have clients who read our books and they come to me and they say, hey, I think I need a limited partnership. Just like a doc, you know, some patient saying, hey, I think I need this procedure. And what's the doc going to say? Okay, maybe let me diagnose you. It may be that procedure makes sense. It may not. There's a lot of other tools in the tool bag. And that's the way I look at it. And that's why we start with diagnostics. Yeah, I think um, the challenge, of course, is just getting people to sit down and create this map in the first place. If we go to the other end, just accept that you will not have a plan where everything is five out of five or plus five, no, because that's, that's very 
It's very difficult. I don't difficult. have plus five across the board. Nobody Believe does. Me, nobody does. No. The, the only way you could have plus five is probably having no assets at all. But I think that um, if you understand what a reasonable asset protection plan is, think about it. Um, if a lawyer is coming after you to try and take your money, they don't want to work forever to do this. They want to figure out what is the easiest path to do that. And insurance is probably the, the, the typical way to do it. Um, if you have a reasonable amount of insurance, that's typically the end of the story. Now, I have seen where a doctor um, was either underinsured or he had the right amount of insurance. And for whatever, whatever reason, it didn't cover his um, his client's partic uh, particular problem. So they kept going. But that's an opportunity to potentially settle. I think in each of these cases, the attorney had to take it to court. He got uh, a judgment. Um, which was above policy limits, and he says, "I'm going to keep going. He's going to he's going to keep going because the doctor was difficult, uh, created a line in the sand. Um, it took eight years for the lawyer to uh, to even get this judgment. Those are unique situations, and there are probably ways to manage it along the path. But by and large, if you have an asset protection plan in place and that's articulated to the other side." you will soon find out that they tend to become a lot more reasonable um, in that conflict. Isn't that your experience? Well, for sure, because most of the kind of cases we're talking about, the, you know, your membership and the physicians we speak to are concerned about, medical malpractice, employee claim, car accident. These are contingency fee cases typically, right? So the lawyer on the other side is not billing $500 an hour and wants to stretch this out like a corporate law case. This is they get a piece of the case of the judgment, uh, the recovery, and they have a whole bunch of uh, files in their desk of other cases. So if, they, if there's some insurance and, and, and there's found to be liability and that insurance is a payout, what's their incentive and sort of cost um, the benefit for them to then go after beyond that if it's going to be difficult, time consuming, um, unclear what the uh, result will be? Uh, it, for plus five assets, uh, um, futile, um, you know, they are going to make a business decision. And I see this over and over again that, okay, we'll take the insurance, we'll move on to the next case, or we'll settle for pennies on the dollar. I have my first client uh, doing this for 22 years on the other side, actually, I have an orthopedic surgeon client, and I tell him I use this ex his example all the time. He was in a business totally unrelated to his practice. And turns out there was some you know, nefarious things going on, and he actually got a judgment against a former business partner for $200,000, okay? Right. Got the judgment, so went to court and won. Turns out that that person doesn't have much assets. They could pay him off, but uh, they, have, they have significant, but not, not wealthy. Um, but it's all in some LLCs and things that were put in place before, and timing is an issue, before they ever had this business. So he's told me he spent about 10, 12,000 with a lawyer poking around, you know, getting the discovery, trying to figure out a way in. And at this point, he's saying, I'm going to just settle for the 10 or 12 I paid the lawyer, the second one, to sniff around, right? Forget about the original 200,000 judgment. He's like, I just, you know, thankfully, he manages money. He's doing well. Even in this downturn, he's been better positioned, so hasn't lost much. So he's in basically semi-retirement. He's like, this is just too much of a headache for me. It just brings me down. I just want to move on psychologically. So he's going to settle for pennies on a dollar. And I said, listen, I, you know, I, I empathize with him. But the point is, now I have a doc on the other side who's seen it for real. This stuff can work. Uh, it just needs to be put in place properly. 
needs to be maintained properly. This is not put it and then forget about it. Entities need annual meetings. They need to be updated, et cetera. Uh, and then um, it needs to be done um, uh, uh, in advance. Yeah, talk uh, about timing. Talk about timing. The time to do it is not when the barbarians are at the gate, because that would be considered a potentially fraudulent conveyance, a, an attempt to delay or deny payment to a creditor, which essentially is just eliminated. For the most part, that's neutralized. The longer the tools have been in place, the more it passes the sniff test for having a legitimate business purpose and not a purpose to deny or delay payment to a creditor. Talk about that for just a minute. Yeah, it's a crucial part of it. You can't get fire insurance on your home when there's a fire, right? And, and as physicians think the fire may be the date they're being sued or the date they're going to court. No, the, the way the courts look at that fire is the date of the event. You saw the patient who turned out to have a malpractice issue, the date of the accident, et cetera. So you can't wait until you have a problem. The language is reasonably foreseeable because um, every state has on the books fraudulent transfer, fraudulent conveyance, or what are being called avoidable uh, transaction laws. And voidable transaction is probably a better description because that's really what it is. They can avoid the transaction, move it back. So you want to put this in place while the coast is clear. Um, and then if you can do that and maintain it, then you're in great shape. Um, one of the other things you mentioned at the beginning I wanted to mention was, hey, you know, I just put everything in my spouse's name and you mentioned the divorce of risk. Well, there's a risk way beyond that which is that it really doesn't work in most states for most assets. Again, I can't say for all 50 states, and I have attorneys that I know in all the states uh, uh, virtually. So it's not universal, but in most states for most assets, just putting your assets in the spouse's name is not going to be effective because about 20 states, 15 are community property states, right. and then for sure that's not going to work because it's community property, so that's just off the table. And then in the non-community property states, generally, you're not getting any consideration there. If you're putting it in the spouse's name, they're still going to be able to see, well, what money earned that asset? Let's mm -hmm. say you put the house in the spouse's name. Well, who's paying the mortgage? Who's paying the property tax? Are you, if you're living in it, are you paying rent to the spouse? If you haven't, it doesn't really look like you've made a real gift, right? It looks like substance over form. You said you did a gift, but you didn't act like you did a gift. And if you did all those things, then it comes back to your risk, meaning if you did really move the home to her and you are paying rent and she is now paying the property taxes and all of that, and you get divorced, well, then you got a problem because now it, it, you, it really has become hers, right? So you can't really have your cake and eat it too. You can't say, well, um, it's my spouse's if I, case I ever get sued, but if we ever get divorced, oh, no, no, that's really half mine. It just doesn't work that way in most cases. So. What I tell clients is that's just not good medicine. You know, that's just, that's like medieval medicine. We have a lot better tools. If, when you ask clients what they want, when they want to protect assets, they generally want to maintain two things. Mm -hmm. Ownership control is one of them and problems. control, right? Yeah. Ownership and control. And when I say ownership, I mean access. Mm -hmm. So there are different tools that allow that to certain extents, right? So when we look at a client, we do the diagnostic, you know, we're going to lay out those options and clients are typically going to make choices to say, okay, I can do this, a limited partnership, an LLC, I don't have to trust anyone, my wife and I can, or my husband and I can be the manager so we have control of it. Or we can use this irrevocable trust in a state called a domestic asset protection trust uh, in a state, uh, let's say you live in a, a state like Ohio, 
that has a great statute. And I know the lawyers who wrote it. Um, then uh, we're going to use that. Now I have to use a trust company, but the only beneficiaries are me and my wife and my family. So the trustee has to follow what's going on, but I'm not worrying they can give anything to anyone but our family. And now it protects us. So ownership, access, control, those are the things clients are concerned about. And if you can show them a pathway that they can get protections while maintaining those or maintaining those uh, to the extent they want, um, then they're much more comfortable doing that rather than just putting it in my spouse's name, which isn't going to be effective. Now, let's uh, migrate to the later phase of a career, um, which would be uh, retirement, estate planning, the types of things where the doctor either is ready to uh, hang up his uh, stethoscope or you know, they still want to do it, but maybe do it as a gentleman, uh, do it on their own terms and participate in the medical world just because they love it, but don't really want the daily grind. How do things change in terms of the life cycle and what does OJM do to put that into perspective? Yeah, so I think one of the most important things, and in our book, you know, it's, 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 it's laid out in lessons. Lesson one for the young physician, basically lessons two, three, four, five for those in practice in, in, in the game. Uh, and then lesson six is about retirement. And we talk about the retirement red zone, which is a, a great topic, a great uh, a phrase I think I got from one of the big insurance companies when I was watching sports when there was sports on TV, uh, which hmm. means if you're a football fan, you know, within the 20 yard line. So you're getting close to retirement. So we, in the book, I think we have three tactics for that and then six or seven in retirement. One of the most important is to uh, adjust the portfolio risk. Okay. And, we, and why? Because of what's been going on right now, right? My parents who are 77, we adjusted their portfolio risk years ago um, you know, five years ago, so that w w in this downturn, um, they're not affected nearly as much, you know, a third of the down, okay? But they've also gotten some decent ups years uh, the last couple of years because the market's been up. So changing them from, and I'm just making up numbers, from 70, 30 stocks to bonds to, you know, alternatives, which are crucial. People don't talk about alternatives, but they're crucial, um, uh, to 30, 70 or something like that over time. Uh, without creating a lot of tax consequences, tax loss harvesting, tax gain harvesting. Um, that's crucial because you don't have the time to make it up. You know, a 50-year-old, a 40-year-old, a 35-year-old surgeon, a physician, they can say, well, you know, I took my lumps this year, but, you know, I don't really need some of those, most of those dollars to retirement. I got 20, 30 years to make it up with more income, but also have the markets come. 75-year-old, a 70-year-old, a 65-year-old doesn't have that. Hey, David, I'm glad you talked about a 65-year-old going from 70-30 to 30-70 as opposed to 100-0, meaning entirely in cash or entirely in bonds, because with people living longer and longer, one of the concerns is um, if I'm if my money is not growing or growing with, um, with a reasonable uh, rate of return, will I outlive my money? That's a, a great fear, and, and to some degree, you, you still need your money to work, even though it may be entirely safe. You may need some amount of it at modest risk, and even that is a moving target. Correct? I think yeah, absolutely. I think that's the number one fear of retirees. Period. Physicians and others is outliving their money, right? Because of medicine. It, the old model of you know get the gold uh, watch at 65 and dead by 70. That's just totally inapplicable today. I mean, my brother's a cardiologist in Delray Beach in Boca Raton, Florida. You know, 75 would be his youngest patient. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the fact. So, yeah. you know, it, it, medicine is keeping people alive and, and ideally uh, productive or at least healthy. 
feeling good for a long time. So we've got to do our modeling. This gets back to you know one of the things we talked about initially, which is the micro going back to the financial model. And that's what we do with clients on a you know biannual basis. How do things do? What's our plan? And that plan needs to stretch out typically to age 90, 95, 100, depending on you know sort of the the couple or the, or the individual and they're, you know, like, like we have almost all physicians. So they give us kind of a realistic idea based on their genetics, what they think they're, you know, nobody knows the day they're going to die. If they know that, we can build a great financial plan, but they can say, okay, yeah. you know, we think this period. So that's crucial. You can't go to zero. I mean, look what bonds have been returning. I mean, uh, it, it just, it's not feasible. Um, interest rates are so low and probably will stay low that, you know, money markets don't pay 4%, right? They pay maybe 0.4% is more closer to it. So, but the reason that shift is so important, and we go through an example of this, not in wealth management made sense, not in um, our new book for doctors, but I encourage when we get to the end and we tell people how to get the books for free, they get Wealth Planning for the Modern Physician, which is our newest book, and Wealth Management Made Simple. And um, the reason is in Wealth Management Made Simple, we get into a good example of sequence of return risk. And that's really what you got to avoid when you start getting towards retirement. What does that mean? Yeah. So can you imagine two portfolios left and right? And this is in the book where you have 20 years of returns, let's say 10 years of returns, 15 doesn't matter. And then you average out. So the mean return at the bottom is exactly the same. Let's call it 7%, right? So you have different years, 20 minus three, this, this. But at the end, they both have the mean return seven. And let's say they both have the standard deviation. Okay, of the same number, so the same amount of risk. But on the left side, we have different uh, rates of return for 20 years, but it starts with positive years mostly, and <laughs> ends with mostly negative or sort of flat years, okay? On the other side, we have the exact same rates of return, they're just reversed, right? So in the beginning, we're having the years that the other part, the portfolio A had at the end. So we're reversing. The first one is sort of heavy, good years in the front, poor years on the back. Portfolio B is poor years in the front, uh, good years in the back. Same mean return, same standard deviation. Portfolio A lasts out to age 90, I could say 20 years, 70, 90. Uh, portfolio B, they run out of money in like 12 years. Why? That's one of the That's one of the challenges of using averages. It's often been right. said that Bill Gates walks into a bar and the average patron in the bar is a millionaire. Right, yeah, a billionaire probably. Right? Or a billionaire. So, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's exactly right. And that, so that's the thing, right? The people who, you know, didn't do the good work of managing the portfolio and mapping it out from a micro point of view and are in retirement and uh, maybe are still in the, the 70, 30 uh, on stocks uh, are really, you know, panicking now. Right. This is this is a, a setting what's going on. We don't know where it's going to go. I mean, we've had a couple good uh, days this week, but who knows? We could, we could be headed for another bottom. Nobody knows that. So the point is we want to avoid that because we can't let our clients come close to running out of money. So we've got to make sure that they're being smart about sequence of return risk and doing that. And that's one of the, that's one of the keys out of, you know, four or five uh, approaching it in return. And are you using additional tools above and beyond just an investment portfolio? Are you thinking about insurance, uh, annuities, uh, other types of tools to generate a, um, a, a check for people um, after they don't have new income coming in other than what's generated from their portfolio? 
For sure. Um, you know, I didn't become really educated on life insurance until starting the firm uh, 13 years ago. I was, you know, I knew about it as a lawyer, but I didn't understand it as much. And, and we get into that a lot in the new doctor book, buy term, invest the difference. Certainly I have term insurance. I have it personally and I have it at the business. Two, two major policies, buy, sell, um, and then also key a person in case I, uh, you know, get hit by the beer truck. So, um, but I also have a significant cash value policy, and a lot of our clients do. And why is that? Because it can grow tax-free, right. and the money can come out tax-free. And guess what? It's also totally asset-protected here in Florida, and it was in New York, where I used to live, and it is in about 20 states. But what's really interesting about these policies, and we get into and show some examples in the book, is how they grow, the different choices you have. I have a policy that's called an equity index policy. So it grows with an index, which for me is the S&P 500, but it has a floor and a cap, mm -hmm. uh, which is basically a collared strategy. So I, my policy is guaranteed at least a zero return, and it has a cap of 11%. So let's just look at the last two years. Last year, the S&P you know, did 30%. I got capped at 11, but this year, even if we end up down negative 20, I'll have zero. So, so you're using, yeah, so you're using that as a tool to mitigate risk, meaning that um, you're okay giving up the average percentage over time that you typically would get with your investment portfolio. But the upside for you is that even in the worst of the worst years, your policy is not losing value. You sleep okay at night. You recognize you will not run out of money. Well, it's actually a little better than that because if you do, if you just look at the S&P 500 with or without dividends and you do the collar strategy, just do the economics, um, the mean is actually higher, right? Because there's more years that you get hurt with the negative uh, than there are over 11 um, mm -hmm. historically. Now that's not really been true in the last bull run, uh, uh, bull run. But again, I've had this policy through 08, 09. So I didn't, it wasn't down 40% that year. And I won't be down whatever the percentage is this year. Um, but meanwhile, I've hit the 11 a bunch of times. So my mean is, you know, like eight or 9%. That's pretty good. Um, well, well ha especially tax-free uh, mm -hmm. while having the, the downside protection. Other types of policies, as an example, is a whole life policy. A lot of people are more familiar with that. That's more like a um, sort of a bond return, but a little higher than that, five, 6%, meaning clients who have those policies here in 2020, the insurance companies have already made the announcement, you know, many of them what they'll uh, return this year uh, or have already credited the policies. Uh, and it's typically most of the large, you know, whole life policies, the mutual companies we like because they're owned by the shareholders. So I'm an owner, not only a, uh, a policyholder. So we're not, you know, beholden to Wall Street and earnings or anything like that. Um, getting a five or 6% tax free. So again, is it, it's never going to be, you know, um, your highest performer, but as you get to retirement, if you had funded that over the years, we try to get clients to do it when they're young because the cost of insurance are lower. Mm -hmm. When you get to, I know for me, part of my financial plan in my 70s and 80s is pulling money out of that tax-free, and that will not be my highest performer, but it'll be, you know, win by not losing, or if you're a baseball right. person, singles and doubles. It'll be there for you, and that's the yep. purpose of that. Every Every piece of the puzzle has a particular purpose. Yep, exactly right. We are running out of time, two things. One, I, I wanna turn every one of our listeners on to the books that the OJM Group has put together. For years, we used to distribute a book called For Doctors Only, A Guide to yep. Working Less, and 
building more. That's that's a book that um, has been on the shelf. There's so many nuggets of wisdom in that. But you just are about well, you're about to release a new book, and I want to make sure that um, those who are listening get the benefit of having listened not only to this podcast, but get the secondary benefit of being able to download that book for free. So talk a little bit about that book and how the listeners can download it at no cost. Yeah, absolutely. So the name of the book is Wealth Planning for the Modern Physician. We're super excited about it. It's our first financial book for physicians in five years. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's relevant, you know, uh, for any age physician, meaning if you're young, maybe you just look at lesson one. If you have the time, you can look at any of the lessons. I don't care if you're in retirement, you just look at lesson six, but there's something there for everybody. Uh, we co-authored with uh, one of our young uh, docs um, and everybody in our team contributed. So there's lessons on asset protection, on tax, on retirement, on investing, on um, uh, what to do in retirement, as we talked a little bit about. And the way they can get that book, if you're listening and you have your phone nearby, this is one way. Pull out your texting app and text the number 555-888. That's 555-888. And then in the body of the text, put MJPOD. It doesn't have to be capitals. It can be capitals or lowercase MJPOD. Medical text justice, up. by the way, for those who are guessing. Yes, yep. that's right. Uh, to 555-888. And you'll get a link back. And that'll take you to our bookstore. And you can get this book along with, if you're interested in some of the financial deep dive, then get Wealth Management Made Simple. You can get them both for free, any of our books, okay? We've got some others as well on there. And you'll see the price point, but when you get to the um, checkout, you're gonna, uh, that code will be pre-populated and you're gonna get them all for free. And we have them as hard copy. If you're a hard copy, old school reader, great. If you're a PDF person, have that. We have Kindle versions and iPad versions. So any form you want to use, you can get it, okay? So one option is texting. Again, text 555-888-MJPOD. The other way, if you've got your computer up and you'd rather not use your phone, you can go to ojmbookstore.com, okay? OJM, that's M as in Mary, ojmbookstore.com, and you use the same code. So Choose the books you want. When you get to checkout, it's MJPOD, MJPOD, and you'll get the same uh, ability to get any of our books for free. And, uh, you know, the other resources we have on OJMgroup.com, which is our website, OJMgroup.com, that are free. We have a newsletter that comes out every month, which is free. We do oftentimes, not every week, but pretty often, we do podcasts, especially when there's big market changes. Our, our investment people will do that. We do WebExes every month uh, for sure, um, and so on a whole host of topics. So we've got a lot of stuff on there, a lot of videos, things you can learn. It's a no-brainer. Everyone who's listening to this should pull out their phones right now. Don't don't wait. Don't think. Just do. Take action. It's going to be MJPOD. M-J-P-O-D is in David. Make it happen. David, you've been a wealth of information. I know that we could talk for about... 20 hours or even yep. even a month but um i hope you'll come back and join us again soon thanks so much for for delivering these um uh, this amount of information uh, to our listeners i appreciate it thanks for having me love to come back and with that we're at the end of our broadcast thanks for joining us in closing a few messages if you're an existing member of medical or dental justice 
and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MEDJUST. That's 1-877-MEDJUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of Medical Justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epison Frank O News at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336 358 5587. We offer discounts for large groups and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.